I'm sure a vast majority of us have become fans of movies such as the Frank Abagnale Jr. story, like the movie Catch Me If You Can, or other movies that involve trickery and thievery, such as The Italian Job and Ocean's Eleven. But I have yet to see somebody come up with a very good movie about the greatest con man there ever was. The man that sold the Eiffel Tower. January 4th, 1890, possibly the greatest con man there ever was, Victor Lustig was born. Victor, a man who was fluent in three different languages, in English, French, and Italian, would in his early years in life, from 1908-1909, roam the streets of Paris, pickpocketing people. He would also commit burglaries, and then finally would graduate to a full-on con man. And from 1909 to the start of World War I in 1914, would ride back and forth on boats from France to New York, conning people into believing that he was some big Broadway producer and that he was looking for someone to help finance his next big Broadway musical. He would do this all up until he ran into Nicky Arnstein, or Arnstein. Is it Arnstein? Who fucking knows? Nicky was also a con man who was a very popular gambler and was also uh, most popularly known for being married to the actress Fanny Bryce. Nikki kind of took Victor under his wing and showed him the ropes to a good con and gave him kind of these uh, golden rules that Victor would later on coin as the 10 golden rules to a good con and stick around because I will give you those rules at the end. So when World War I started, transatlantic travel became a little more dangerous and so therefore less frequent. So Victor would eventually settle in Kansas City and link up with another gentleman known as Dapper Dan Collins. And together they would come up with their next big scheme called the Romanian Money Box. Now here was the beauty behind the Romanian Money Box. All they would do is get this box and they would put just extra dials and rollers on it. They would then go to the bank. They would get a handful of $100 bills. They would change the serial numbers on them so that they would match. And what they would do is they'd find their marks. They'd wine and dine them for like six hours after sliding a bill inside of this box, giving the illusion that it takes time for it to duplicate the first bill. After six hours, they would take the two bills out. They'd take their mark to the bank with them so they could see them deposit the money. And that way it would prove the legitimacy of it. And people loved it. They were like, holy shit, I could double up my money on a regular basis. Uh, They told them, they would tell their marks that it would take a 12-hour cooldown period before they could do it again. So basically every 12 hours, they'd be able to make another bill. And that it was something that would pay themselves off. Now, mathematically, 
if they did it every 12 hours, that's 200 bucks a day. So that's 1400 a week. Not bad, especially back then in that time period. That's a lot of fucking money. So they would trick these people into believing that this thing was real and get them to pay upwards of uh, $10,000 per box. So this adds to the beauty of it because that 12 hour period that before these people try to use this box again and realize, oh shit, they've been conned, that they've been duped. Dapper Dan and Victor are gone, nowhere to be found. And even more so to the beauty of it, who was going to report it saying that they got conned? Because then they would have to be admitting to trying to counterfeit money. Not a good look. So they were able to get away with doing this for a fairly decent amount of time. Now, Victor and Dapper Dan's uh, relationship didn't end at just the Romanian money box. Another good scam that they got away with uh, was in Montreal, Canada, where Victor convinced a wealthy banker that his cousin, Dapper Dan, uh, worked at the telegram company and can delay the results for horse races and other sporting events for up to one minute, allowing them to place the winning bet before the results got in. It was supposedly a win-win. And during this particular horse race, uh, Victor convinced this banker to give him $30,000 to bet on a horse race. Uh, when he went to place the bet, obviously he kept the money and then he disappears. And again, start to see the pattern here with the good con. The, the banker wasn't going to go to the authorities and report that he just got taken for $30,000 because then that's going to be him admitting to fixing. Nobody's going to do that shit. Pretty intelligent, if you ask me. And now for the really big job. Eiffel Tower job. Now, a little bit about the Eiffel Tower first before we begin. The Eiffel Tower was made in 1889 and was only supposed to be standing for 20 years. It was supposed to be taken down in 1909. Obviously, that didn't happen. And here's why. So, the reason it was originally built to begin with was for the World's Fair and it was to commemorate the 100-year anniversary of the French Revolutionary War. But, Gustav Eiffel, the designer and creator of it, same person who did the Statue of Liberty, decided, you know what? I'm going to throw a radio antenna in this motherfucker, and I'm going to throw a wireless telegram transmitter in it also. So, the French government, they kept finding usefulness out of it, and that's why they decided to keep it standing for so long. And We're going to get to more to that in a little bit. So the tower had already been erected well beyond the 20-year mark. And it was becoming expensive to maintain. And the general public was kind of split on whether they should keep it or not because it looked like an eyesore. So Dapper Dan and Victor, on May of 1925, after moving back to Paris, they read this article about the struggles and the cost of maintaining this 7,300-ton iron structure, and that's when they come up with their next big scheme. So Victor would create this fake paperwork to appear as if he was the head honcho in charge of the commission in charge of the Eiffel Tower. 
he would send out these these fake letters to have a private meeting to the five biggest metal dealers throughout the country. And they would come to this expensive hotel room and they did that basically explaining to them, hey, we brought you here today because we are going to sell the Eiffel Tower as scrap metal, but we didn't want to let the general public know yet. And that's why we brought you here to this room privately. So after having this private meeting with all these groups, one of the smaller groups stayed behind. And it was this man by the name of Andre Poisson who really wanted to get the deal because his company needed it desperately. And so they make a side deal where basically Poisson bribes Victor for this contract that Victor has no business actually selling. So he got the double dip on this. He got the money for buying the contract. And then he also got an extra $70,000 bribe on top of that. Victor would then leave to Venice and wait for things to cool down. Right. Cause he figured there would be a lot of heat, but after a few months of checking the, the newspapers and stuff like that, he'd realize. Holy shit, this dude didn't mention anything. And there's a very good reason for that. Why? Because just like the Romanian money box and just like the uh, fixing the bet scheme that happened in Montreal, um, this person didn't want to admit to bribery. And then on top of that, the embarrassment that he probably had for his company already struggling and then giving up all that money for something that was never sold to begin with legitimately never reported it. So Victor was like, Hey, let's run it back, baby. So he goes back to Paris a few months later and he does the same scheme with another group of metal dealers, just five different ones. And he makes this deal with one of them. But the guy doesn't feel right about it. It seems kind of suspicious of the the deal. And so he goes to the authorities and this causes Victor and Dapper Dan to finally flee Paris and come back to the U S Victor was eventually arrested on May 10th, 1935 due to an anonymous phone call to the feds by his then mistress, Billy May, who had discovered that he was cheating on her with a younger woman. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in order for you to have been the mistress, wouldn't he have had to have been married first? And then if he cheats on you with another woman, would that then make her the mistress's mistress? Karma's a bitch. But I digress. Now, Victor would talk to the feds about his partner's involvement in a counterfeiting ring that lasted about five years, where he and one Tom Shaw on a monthly basis would inject counterfeit money into the U.S. economy. But he would claim ignorance to what was happening on his part. Now, what ultimately ended up being his undoing was the fact that he had a key in his possession, and that key went to a locker at the um, Times Square subway station. And inside that locker, they had $51,000 of counterfeit money along with the plates that they used to create the counterfeit money. 
Now, while awaiting trial at the Manhattan Detention Center, Victor would claim that he was sick. And then when he was transported from his cell to the medic, he would create a makeshift rope out of bedsheets to escape out of the window. Now, this was a short-lived escape as he was caught 27 days later in Pittsburgh. And then from then, he was sentenced to 20 years at Alcatraz. Now, we all have heard the story growing up of the boy that cried wolf. Victor, a man who spent his entire life conning people, telling lies. Well, when he finally gets to jail and starts complaining about feeling ill, the COs don't believe him. They knew what happened in the Manhattan Detention Center and basically gave him a big fuck you, go back to your cell type of deal. And sadly enough for Victor, on March 9th of 1947, he died of pneumonia. And now that we have reached the end of Victor's life, I did tell you that I was going to give you his 10 golden rules to a con. And here they are. Number one, be a patient listener. It is this not fast talking that gives a con man his cues. Number two, never look bored. Number three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions and then agree with them. Number four, Let the other person reveal religious views and then have the same ones. Number uh, number five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow up on it unless they show interest. Number six, never discuss illness unless special concern is shown. Number seven, never pry into a person's personal life. They'll tell you all eventually. Number eight, Never boast. Let your importance be quietly obvious. Number nine, never be untidy. And number 10, which is probably the hardest one for me, don't get drunk. But anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, subscribe, share, and show you care.